Isn't that an amazing video? That's a video of some of the greatest surfers in the game, Brad Gerlach. And, but there's one really great sw- surfer, and that is, of course, Jesse, who broke his neck. And he got right back on that surfboard after he went through rehabilitation. And I love it for an image about our faith, our journey, because I know so many Christians who like, start out the journey and they ride the wave, but then something happens and they decide they're going to quit. They're not going to get back on that surfboard. They're just going to quit. I want to talk today about that, getting back on the surfboard, persevering, and just, just keeping going. If you're here for the first time, we welcome you to Highlands Church, and we hope that you feel the incredible warmth in this room. And especially want to say hi to a pastor who called me this last week from Houston. And he is really struggling in his own ministry. He doesn't like where he's being called. He doesn't like his church. But he loves what's happening here. So he is getting encouragement from what you are. So know that you're, in, you're encouraging pastors as well. If I seem a little groggy today, we did have a gala last night, an incredible event. And I want to thank you all for being a part of that. And reminded of a pastor who came up to the church one day and said, uh, there's good news and bad news. The bad news is uh, we need the roof fixed. Uh, the good news is we have the money. Bad news is it's in, it's in your pockets. But uh, <laughs> thanks to last night, we can fix the roof, and we want to thank you also for just making it a great celebration. So we're on our journey series. We're talking about the stages of the journey, and we're talking about the three big stages of the Christian journey. And we uh, talked about how this is a vision talk for our church, that there are people in each stage of the journey here at this church. Could you just raise your hand if you're kind of a brand new Christ follower? This is a brand new thing. You were baptized recently, or you, this is the last five years, you're really taking some of this stuff in. Would you put your hand up? Yeah, there is a high number of people in this church. Now, would you put your hand up if you're, if you're in the middle category, kind of the, you'd call yourself intermediate. You're kind of, or maybe advanced intermediate in this crowd. Yeah, this is like the upper middle income crowd here. Good, okay. And then, would you raise your hand if you're in the advanced category, that, that, that you'd sort of consider yourself a prophet of God? Anyone here? No? So... Well, unfortunately, we have all three categories in this church. And you know, a lot of churches only have one. A lot of churches only have like beginning Christ followers. That's what you'd call a secret church. And we've never called ourselves a secret church here. But the problem is that they tend to focus on them and everyone else gets left behind. And then there are some churches who focus only on the middle group. And they just expect the brand new people to kind of figure it out and then jump onto the middle category. And they have a whole bunch of programs. You know, it's a huge church. They got all this staff and problem is when people move from these churches, they've been fed by this great big church. And then they move, and then they don't know how to feed themselves. And then, of course, there are churches who focus on the advanced. There's a lot of them in this area. Focus on the advanced, the doctors of ministry, if you will. And they, they usually appeal to the pastor, and they say, the pastor, pastor, my last pastor, Rick, now he was a deep preacher. Can we get some meat here on, on Sunday morning? And so for his own ego needs, the pastor will get the meatiest sermon he can, and he will address maybe two or three people in that church, and everybody else doesn't get one word of what's being said. So thank God that we have all three groups here. And so what we're laying out here is a a vision statement of what we're going to try to do here that's a revolutionary idea for churches. Not all churches have all three groups. And so we looked at this. Our our mission statement, of course, is to help de-church people become fully devoted followers. And we've got a whole bunch of people coming through our doors with that. Now what are we going to do? Here we're laying it out. This is our vision statement. Number one, we're going to help brand new followers become fed. We're going to feed them like new children. We're going to feed brand new followers. Number two, we are going to help intermediate people become self-fed. We're going to help people begin who are in that intermediate phase, and that may be you, that's most of our church, begin to feed ourselves. 
And then the third part, we're going to help people who are in the advanced category begin to feed others. Let's talk, a lot, talk about that today. Today we're focusing on the middle group, the intermediates, and we're going to talk about the most important lessons here. So let's, let's pray about it and let's talk about how we're going to focus on intermediates at this church. God, I thank you for what you have done in each of our journey. And Lord, we know there are some people on the journey today who don't even know where they are. Some people who have actually decided they're quitting the journey. Lord, there are also people who are just somewhere in some middle category of beginning, middle, and end. We pray that you'd be with us in wherever we are. And we know that you meet us there. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this has been a great summer for our family. We've had staycations. We've stayed here pretty much and read books, which is just fine. And uh, one of the books that I've read this last summer is The History of Christianity, a book about the history of Christianity. And I don't know if you've ever even cared or thought about it too much, but how, have you ever thought about how did this become this? And that's what this book was about. And, and uh, what's been fascinating is that this book talked about two basic groups or two basic times in the history of Christianity. Again, let's just go over quickly. So Jesus died and was resurrected and lived on the earth for 40, uh, 40 days and then ascended into heaven. And then Paul picked up the message and took it out. What happened from 60 AD to about 1500? Well, what happened is the Christian church went into a time of self-study, self-feeding. Many monks and nuns and many people would study uh, the scriptures and they would literally lock themselves away. And it was them, it was their own feeding. They would open this book up and without a whole lot of training would just study this thing as much as they could. Now, what's interesting is that was one of the most vibrant times in the history of Christianity. You know, we had the Dark Ages during that period. We had the bubonic plagues. We had different popes coming and going. We had all kinds of chaos in the world. And yet Christianity thrived through that time of self-feeding. Well, then 1500 came along. Uh, Martin Luther came along with the Great Reformation. And people began to come to church to be fed, which was great because people were struggling just doing it on their own. So people would come to churches, and some of those churches would get bigger and bigger and bigger. And so every week they would say, well, what is the meat in my life this week? I don't know. I hope the pastor brings it because I need the meat. And so what we went from is a Christianity of self-feeding to a Christianity of group feeding. Now that group feeding is great if people are actually being fed each week, but no church can provide that. And so what many people think, and what we want to talk about today is we think we need to get back in our church to a time of self-feeding. We actually need this group thing once a week. We need to check in with one another, but we actually need to get back to weekly, daily, individual, locking ourselves in our offices or waking up in the morning with our coffee and really just feeding ourselves. This is actually one of the hardest parts of the journey. You know, more people quit during the self-feeding phase, the middle part. They go along, they have a wave in the beginning of their faith, and then hard times come, and they start to question why do bad things happen to good people, or they get questions about the Bible, like, did Adam have a belly button? (laughs) Think about it. Or they have questions about the Trinity, and then they just decide to quit. They decide to quit. They say, well, that's too deep of a question for me. My pastor can't answer it, and so I'm done. But what we want to talk about is how a healthy church will actually help people to really help to feed themselves. I remember I joined this little part of the journey when I was about 17 or 18 years old. I became a Christ follower early on, and and I really decided during that time I would commit. See, yearbook picture, you got to love them. (laughs) 
I would commit in my life to read the chapter of one chapter a night of the Bible. I would just do it. No matter what happened, if it was Christmas or Easter or family or wherever, I wanted to go to a movie. I committed, I, I remember going on my knees one night and saying, Lord, I commit to you this. I'm going to do one chapter a night, no matter what happens, no matter whether I understand it or not. Now, I did that, and I went through Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus, and I got to Deuteronomy and Numbers, and I knew nothing about what I was reading. In fact, I remember I was reading the book of Numbers, and it was homecoming night, and uh, I was at a dance, but I'd committed to read one chapter. I remember I went out one date in my life with Ann Hamilton. You'll hear why it was just one date in a second. I went out on one date, and I said, Ann, i got to go off to the bathroom. I've got to just, uh, you know. So I went off, and I didn't want to tell her that I was reading the Bible, so I went to a stall, and there I had my little pocket Zonder van, and I opened this thing up, and I started to read through Exodus and Leviticus, or Numbers, and I, you know how Zophar begat Lothar begat the hill people, and whatever. I didn't understand anything I was saying, <laughs> reading. I must have been a long time, because I got back to the table, and Anne said, is everything okay? Oh, I was just, you know, working through some stuff, and it was just Zophar and Lothar of the hill people. Anyway, I can't go through it now. <laughs> I know how that is, Anne said. But, but I'll tell you what. I don't remember anything specific about that self-feeding time. But I do know that somehow my soul was deeply fed by that. I want to talk about that because my vision, and I hope your vision for this church, is that we would have 2,000 some odd people self-feeding all week long. Not just coming to church each week and saying, well, what do you have for me this week? And I will share that with you, what I have, but this is my self-feeding. This is what a sermon is, really. It's my self-feeding. This is what I got this week. But that you would come and that our time outside would not just be a time of coffee, but that you would say, how are things going? I found out something about the Ark of the Covenant. I can't wait to tell you about it. Wouldn't that be something? I want to tell you about a young man named Timothy who Paul trained up to be a, a Christ follower. He trained him up. He fed him. He was a part of the beginning part of that journey. And then he left Timothy. He said, you're on your own. Self-feed. He dropped him in Corinth, this young man. And Timothy began to freak out. I can't do this thing. I can't study on my own. Well, I need you, Paul. Paul said, no, you're going to be fine. I'm going to take off. I'm going to go to another city. You, you self-feed. So this is what he says to Timothy, and I hope it helps us today as we begin to think about self-feeding. And uh, we're going to take a look at Timothy 2, uh, 3 through 10 through 17. Let's listen for God's word. Now, Paul begins by excoriating the Corinth, the Corinthian church. He always does that. And then he begins to say, now you, however, Timothy, young man, you know all of my teachings. You know. You can, you can do this. You can do this self-feeding. You know my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love. You know about these things. And then he says this. You know about my endurance. You know that one word, endurance, hupomene, is the word that Paul uses more than any other word in the entire Bible. If Paul were here today and we asked him to preach, and wouldn't that be great, if Paul could preach to us here what Paul I am convinced of would talk about endurance, perseverance, keeping going. That's what hupomene means. Would you say that with me? You have to say it with your hands. It's a Greek word. Hupomene. Exactly. We say hello to our Greek listeners this morning. Hupomene means to remain, to stay, to stand, to keep one's ground, to wait for, and sometimes to suffer is what it really means. He's saying do that. Keep going. He says persecutions and sufferings. What kinds of things happened in Antioch? He says, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. 
This means we will have hardships. And the word for persecution sometimes means people making fun of us for our faith. But more often than not, the real Greek translation here is just, it's just a hard go. It's just a tough go. And a lot of times it's self-persecution. I can't do this. I'm getting off. I quit. But I love this in the next verse. My grandma is here this morning. She came up from Southern California. And when I was a young man visiting her in, in Fort Collins, Colorado, I would get in trouble with the neighbor's kids. And she would send the neighbor's kids away. And then she would say, but as for you, young man, that's what Paul says to Timothy. But as for you, young man, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and what you have been convinced of and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. You have this in your heart, which you're able to make for a for you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. Now here's a key verse for the middle part of the journey for all of us. All scripture is God breathed. All scripture. Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, the stuff that doesn't make sense, it's all God breathed. It can feed your soul. And then he continues, it's good for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, so that the man and woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You can do this. You will be equipped for every good work. Just Work on feeding yourself, and you will have everything you need in this life. Amen? Well, I want to thank you again for the gala last night. It was a celebration of Highlands Church more than anything. And there are people here who came from all kinds of uh, places for Highlands. Chuck Ford is here who uh, helped to hire me, and, and Bill Saul, and Jan Armstrong, and, and John Chandler wanted to come. What's kind of interesting is these guys hired me, but they also knew my great-grandpa, my grandpa, and my dad. Uh, we just figured out the other day that my family has 100 years of ministry in it. And um, that's 100 years of, you know, not entirely out-of-the-box ministry, now a lot of mistakes now and then, but consistent, stick-with-it ministry. And I was just thinking, if you would put uh, Chuck Ford and, and John Chandler and Bill Saul and Jan Armstrong in a room, and let's just say you put them on sodium pentothal, let's just say that. And you were to ask them, what's the one quality? And let me just show you a couple of pictures of my progenitor. Here's my great-grandpa Jesse, a pastor, 1917, on a bad hair day, apparently. <laughs> Here's my grandpa, James, who was a pastor all through California when he was a young man. Here's my dad, who's a pastor up in Sacramento. If you were to ask them one, one thing, what would be that one thing? Would they say, well, creativity? No. Would they say intelligence? Definitely not. What's the one thing? They would say stubbornness stubbornness. And you know what? Stubbornness is related to perseverance. The great preacher Henry Ward Beecher once said the similarity between stubbornness and perseverance is perseverance is having a strong will and, and stubbornness is having a strong won't. You have got to have both things in your life, stubbornness and perseverance. That's what gets you through the journey. That's what gets you through. And I'll tell you what, the people that I'm most proud of in this church are just the stubborn people. And we've got a lot of them. We could change our mission statement to help stubborn people become fully devoted followers. That'd be a good mission statement for our church. But I tell you, we have some wonderful people. One of my favorite stubborn people, and I have permission to say this, he told me, let's tell him I'm stubborn, is Dave Orr. Dave Orr is in his 80s. He came to Highlands Church. He helped carry hot water across the theater, hot boiling water. Five o'clock in the morning, we told him not to do it. If he falls, we don't have any insurance. And... He, I can't remember what he said, but he, he mumbled something in a high voice across the hall. Dave Orr almost passed into the next world just about a week ago. He, had a, he passed out in his backyard and took him down to the hospital, and we were all ready 
to get things going. And he made it through. He came to the Bible study the next day. He said, I'm too stubborn to die, Graham. <laughs> but I'll tell you what. If you've got some of that in your life, you've got a strong dose of what God wants you to have. And you need for the middle part of this journey. It's just a don't quit. It's a keep going. It's a stick with it mentality. So what I want to do is just talk about that for a little minute. Because I know most of us are in that place right now. We just need to stick with it. Let me talk to you about a couple of things. I read another book this summer about Christopher Columbus. Just great, great person, obviously. He sailed across uh, the, the sea. He found our, our world, the new world. But I, always used to think that, I used to think that was the amazing thing about Christopher Columbus, just sailing across the ocean, all that. But what I figured out about Christopher Columbus is actually what was great about his, him was what happened before that. You see, he was out of work for five years. How long have you been out of work for? He was out of work for five years. And he one day went to Queen Isabella at the beginning of that five-year period trying to get a, a contract, basically, to take a boat across the ocean. He waited five years to get a, an appointment with Isabella. Well, we got an appointment with Isabella, and she said, I'm not sure we want to do this. Let's refer it to committee. She was a Presbyterian. And uh, <laughs> she wasn't, but they referred it to committee, and they studied Christopher Columbus's idea for another five years. Ten years, he's without a job. They come back and say, it's impossible to go to the new world. It's impossible. He comes back the next year with another plan just to get rid of Christopher Columbus. They give him the money in the boat and say, get out of here. And obviously, he does great things. But to what he did at the very beginning of that journey, he just stuck with that. He stuck with that. He wouldn't give up. You know, some of the great people, some of the great thinkers did their stuff through just raw perseverance. When you think of Immanuel Kant, the great philosopher, you think of all of his great works, did you realize that his greatest works began at age 74? Verdi, who wrote Ave Maria, Verdi, Ave Maria. He did it when he was 85. He stuck with it. Most of his beginning stuff wasn't that great. Michelangelo, 87, when he completed La Pieta. Ronald Reagan, 75, when he became president. It's just about sticking with it. It's just about stinking with it. Not stinking with it, sticking with it. <laughs> I'm going to begin to watch football again this fall because there's just nothing else on TV, and I'm just really looking for, forward to Monday Night Football. And they were talking about some of the great players in the game. And one of the people they were talking about the other day was Walter Payton. You remember him? Now, did you realize that he ran nine miles of yards in his life? That's like 16,000 yards. Well, what's incredible about Walter Payton is those yards went basically 4.6 yards at a time and he got knocked down. 4.6 yards at a time and he got knocked down. 4.6 yards at a time and he got knocked down. And he kept going. Nine miles of that stuff. Now, you may be saying to yourself today, you know, I've got a lot of gifts. I've got love, I've got patience, I've got kindness, but I don't have strength. I don't have that raw endurance. God can give you that gift. All you've got to do is ask for it. Lord, I need that extra gear. Give it to me today. I don't have it. That's just not the way I'm wired. And God will give it to you. So number one, endurance is the key. It's the most important part of this journey. Two is this. Pick up a few tools of self-feeding. One of my favorite, my favorite uh, things we did this summer was the men's retreat up here at Nascimento. We got a chance to go to an old ghost town up at Nascimento. People don't know it's there. Cantinas. It's a real ghost town. There was a family, an old Mennonite family, who started that town in the 1800s. They came out from the east. 
and they came out to look for gold and to farm. Now, in the 1800s, there was nothing out here. There was really only a mission down in San Luis Obispo, a mission up in San Miguel. There wasn't any of this stuff here. They came out by themselves to look for gold. And I love the fact that they just did that. They just went forward day after day as one family just looking for gold. And I thought about that as a metaphor for this second part of the journey today. You know, that's what we do in this middle part of the journey. We, pan, we don't pan. We, we, we mine for gold. You do and I do. That's what we're doing. Gold is the gospel. It's the truth. And it's out here. It's here. It's here. It's with people who are broken. And we need three things if we're going to just be really successful in this part of the journey. We need a pick. The pick is this. It's the Bible. This is the most sold book in the world, and it's the least read. And you may not understand it, but you just pick up any phrase. You just read some of this stuff, and you're out there with your pick. You're picking away for truth that God might want to give you. Second thing, really important, is a bucket. You've got to have something to put it in. Now, I thought about this all week. What is our bucket? The bucket is the church. It's this place. It's what we bring. Can you imagine how incredible this church would be if 2,000 people were mining for gold? It wasn't just a couple of people teaching classes, but it was 2,000 people mining for gold each week. At coffee hour, you get together and you're looking in your buckets and you're saying, well, this is what I got. I figured out that the Ark of the Covenant is like the Ark of Noah, and it just made a connection for me. Wow, let me show you my gold this last week. So we need a place to come. You know, this is what I do every week. This is what a sermon is basically the gold that a pastor gets in his bucket every week. And sometimes it's ore and sometimes it's gold. And you know that, right? But this is what I got. But what if it isn't just me doing this? What if it's you doing this and we all doing this? Well, this is what I got. Wow, that's much better. Why don't you preach this morning? The last piece is this. Of course, we need prayer to do this. You need a pick, the Bible. You need a bucket, a church to come share your gold with. And you need a light. And that's prayer. The Bible says, thy word is a light unto my feet and a lamp unto my path. And you just ask God to help me understand how Lothar and Zindar and Zilpar are connected to my life. A little boy was trying to learn the Lord's Prayer the other day. It's a tough prayer to learn. You know how that prayer goes, our Father who art in heaven, heaven hallowed be thy name. He didn't understand the word hallowed. So he said, our, our Father who art in heaven, I know you know my name. I like that a lot better. So this next week when you're praying, you just say, as you're opening your Bible, our Father who art in heaven, I know you know my name. Now help me with this. And God will show you the gold to get in this. And it may be a couple of months before you really find a great, a great nugget. But keep at it. Keep at it. The last thing is this. You know, I think sometimes when we get discouraged, we think it's just because it's just our journey, and we stopped this journey. We can't keep going, and we're just get dis- discouraged because we just, it's about us. But realize that this is really not your journey. You didn't put yourself on this journey of faith. That's actually a big part of the intermediate phase. You didn't put yourself here. God put yourself on this journey. God put you here, and so when it doesn't make sense and when you can't figure it out, realize you didn't choose this thing. God chose for you to be here. You may have thought, today I came because I decided to hit my alarm clock and get in the car and come down. I think, no, God chose for you to be here today. You just sort of lived in that body that got you here. 
My favorite story about this is, is Frodo and Gandalf, and they're on that journey for the gold, the gold ring. And Frodo is leading that journey, and he doesn't have the gifts he needs. And they just come around a mountain pass, over lots of snow, and they go into the very heart of the mountain, the darkest part. Maybe that's where you are today, in a dark part of the mountain. And Frodo has had it. He says, I don't want to do this. I've never wanted to go for the ring. I don't want to be a part of the fellowship of the ring. I'm just done. And Gandalf said, Frodo, that's what everyone says. That's what everyone says. But it's not our choice. We didn't choose the journey. All we have a choice is to figure out how we will continue to keep going through that journey. God chose this thing for you. He chose this journey for you to be on. Did you know that Martin Luther and John Calvin and John Knox and the Apostle Paul and Timothy, they all were in the very place you are right now. They just kept going. They just keep going. And God will give you those nuggets. And he will build up a great church here. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for this. And many of us hear this message today and we go, oh, my life is hard enough. I don't need another struggle. But Lord, the irony of the gospel is that as we dig deep into your word in our own, life gets easier. When we do your hard thing, the world gets easier. So I pray that you would be with us as we do that. Help us to be a church that just mines for gold. And we know that you will show us the way and you will show us great veins. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.